the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. I was sent a piece from the desk of Wen Chang Ma, portfolio manager at 91 in Hong Kong. And the headline is the following, six reasons why revisiting the investment case for China equities. Now, the first paragraph in the fast view, and in that case, a pre-summary, it says China's investment outlook has struggled against the backdrop of a weak real estate market, the risk of spillover sanctions from Russia, the recent domestic COVID resurgence and the subsequent rolling lockdowns. It goes on to say, as a result, further earnings downgrades may be needed. Wen Chang, thank you very much for joining me. When I read the introduction to your, your piece, I think to myself, what are the six reasons for revisiting the China equity scenario asset class? Because it, it, it seems fairly pessimistic from what you've said at the beginning anyway. Yes, thank you very much, Lindsay. I think um, indeed a lot of the bad news have been out there about the Chinese equities and the market has uh, clearly reacted to that. But the reason why we want to put out this piece now is to basically uh, looking at, at, at it on a clean sheet of paper and looking at the uh, known knowns and uh, think about where the potential opportunities could be in the future. And I think in terms of the six reasons that we laid out, it's really looking at how things are changing. So the first thing is that the Chinese regulators have been turning down the heat. And we have seen, for example, the property policies uh, have been relaxing. The tech regulation is uh, coming towards an end. So that the, the most heated part of the tech regulation is coming towards an end. And uh, also the COVID policy, uh, which remains in place today, but have become more adaptive over time. Um, and overall, we are in a domestic policy cycle that is in an easing cycle as opposed to the tightening cycle that we are witnessing elsewhere. So I think uh, when we look at the, the overall corporate earnings in China, um, indeed, we are still in that negative earnings revision cycle but the good thing is there are some silver linings. When we look across sector and also we look intra-sectors, there are some areas where we see earnings revisions stabilizing, like in consumer discretionary, in healthcare, some of these areas that were seeing the most significant earnings downgrades. Now the earnings revisions start to show some signs of stabilizing. And uh, with all the easing policies that have been rolled out since the end of last year, um, as soon as those start to uh, show some effectiveness, that will probably need to be coupled with the, the COVID restrictions being partially or fully uh, lifted as well, then uh, it is possible to wait for that potential inflection for the earnings outlook, for the earnings revisions, which we think is very important to support the sustainable market rebound for Chinese equities overall. Sorry, Wen Chang, before we leave point number one, you said adaptive COVID policy. We're pre-recording this interview on the 2nd of September, and I was watching my a screen this morning and something flashed across saying 21 million people were being put into lockdown because of another small COVID outbreak in China. So it's still there, isn't it? It's still a sort of sword of Damocles hanging over the head of the economy. I think it's uh, the overall COVID, so dynamic COVID zero policy remains in place. And China 
continues to implement massive testing on district and even city scales. But after the Shanghai lockdown, which happened in late March and lasted all over April, what we have seen is the local governments have been learning their lesson and becoming more adaptive in terms of how they carry out the identification of the confirmed and close contact cases. And also in terms of locking downs, they try to do it in a more targeted way and to minimize the impact on the economy. And at the same time, we've seen the vaccination rate, especially for the elderly, have continued to increase. And that sets uh, the, the background for a potential relaxation of COVID policy down the line. And we have seen also the domestic oral drugs getting approval as well, which is another very important step to move away from the current very strict COVID restriction. But before all that happens, before the, the restrictions get lifted, I think on the local level, you continue to see some regional, some district level or even city level lockdowns. But uh, learning from the experience from Shanghai, hopefully the overall impact on production, on the economy is less painful. Let's hope so. Your point number two is a negative earnings outlook, but positive momentum. You already hinted on that when uh, talking about your first point, but maybe go on about that. Negative earnings outlook, positive momentum. That's almost like a contradictory statement to me, but you, you're going to explain it, of course. Yeah, so the earnings downward revision for China has already been happening since the second half of 2021. So we're already very deep in that cycle. And since the end of last year, the government has been rolling out the supportive policies. And obviously, the resurgence of COVID and the regional lockdowns were preventing a lot of the stimulus measures from showing the effectiveness that they should have. But that said, we have seen, for example, the local government bond issuance being accelerated and now even with uh, the potential of some of next year's quota being brought forward into this year, meaning that uh, the overall government spending for stimulating the economy is going to step up further. A lot of that is going to go into infrastructure spending, and we know that typically from a timing perspective, it will take at least one to two quarters from when these bonds are issued to the actual projects um, are put into construction. So the translation into the real economy will take some time. But normally we should start to see the impact before the end of this year. And going forward, as the policy cycle remains in an easing cycle and month by month, the government continues to put out more supportive policies, then we should expect that as soon as the, the COVID lockdown gets relaxed, then you should start to see more of the impact of this economic support that have been rolled out. And this will be quite important in terms of setting the background for an economic recovery and translating into the corporate earnings, which is the potential inflection point that we have been and market have been uh, waiting for. And the fact that market has already adjusted the expectations uh, to incorporate the uh, headwinds that we have been experiencing so far, I think that's also very important so that it sets um, a 
basis that is uh, sufficiently realistic before the rebound actually happens. Yeah, and point number three, again, that leads nicely into point number three, which is compelling valuations. Now, this is where investors' ears prick up. You say, following the regulatory and economic-led corrections, the Chinese market appears attractively valued, which which is good. Obviously, it's not going to bounce back with a like a V-shaped recovery. But on the other hand, compelling valuations is something that is very compelling for investors. Yes, when we look at the valuation of both the onshore and the offshore equities in China, they are trading at a discount to their 10-year historical average and also at a discount to other major markets. And when we look at the normalized growth that China manages to deliver and combine that with the valuation level and compare it to other major equity markets, that makes China look very attractive on that basis. It does. As point number four, China marches to the beat of its own drum. It's gone from being an awkward adolescent to now a grown-up who wants to assert its authority, if I can use that analogy. But what do you mean by China marches to the beat of its own drum? I think when the Russia-Ukraine war broke out earlier this year, there have basically triggered quite a lot of concerns on the international market and comparing China to Russia. But what we want to point out is China is not Russia. These are two very, very different economies that shouldn't be put into the same basket. So that's why we say China marches to the beat of its own drum. The China's economy and the size of its capital market is much bigger comparing to Russia. And China is much more integrated into the global economy. It is both a major exporter and a major importer. And also when we look at what the Chinese government has been doing, they are consistently committed to further opening up its economy. So we have given some examples in the note talking about uh, uh, what China has been doing in terms of allowing more access to foreign capital into its uh, domestic economies, into manufacturing business or into the financial markets, and etc. So hopefully this demonstrates the case that uh, we shouldn't just draw a direct comparison um, in parallel, saying China is just another Russia because it is not. No, definitely not. We'll talk about China and Russia at the end with my final question. But uh, we go to point number five now, Wen Chang. From backwater to powerhouse, China's growth story remains unchecked. I think a lot of people might say, well, actually, it's not unchecked because it's come down from the rampant days of 10, 12 years ago of uh, above 10%, now down to, you know, close to flat. So it's not negative, but it's not quite as glamorous as it used to be. What is your outlook? I think since 2020, the world has not been in a normal status. And it was a similar case for China, and especially with the the current COVID restrictions that has um, had a lot of limits on how fast the economy could grow. But what we're trying to see is uh, what is uh, going to be the driver for China's growth in the long term and whether those drivers remain intact. And we very much believe um, they they are still intact for China because China's growth story, we think, have the structural support both in the manufacturing industry and also in the consumption economy. So the growth we see is powered by R&D, powered by structural reform and also increasing household wealth.
For example, carbon neutrality is a very serious initiative in China,、uh, and that has years of growth still in sight. So, although we are seeing some near-term headwinds in China's economic growth, I think we shouldn't overlook、uh, these strong structural long-term growth drivers. That uh, uh, once we get past the、uh, near-term headwinds, which、uh, some of those are self-inflicted. Then, in in the longer term, I think you will continue to see this economic powerhouse continue to provide decent growth opportunities and investment opportunities. Point number six, Wencheng. Market dynamics favor active managers, and of course, ninety one is an active manager. So you've got to be selective. You can't just have a dartboard approach. You can't have a, a sort of shotgun approach to Chinese equities, which a while ago you could have done.、Uh, why is this such an important point for you? I think for the Chinese equities, this is a market that that is still very underrepresented in both international investors' portfolios as well as、uh, for Chinese households' asset allocations. And this is still a market, despite the size,、uh, it's in the early stages of its development, and it is a market that is still very inefficient, as we have demonstrated in the note in terms of the split between. Uh, retail investors' contribution and institutional investors' contribution、uh, to the market turnover there. So overall, I think this is a market that provides ample alpha generation opportunities, and those needs to be generated through active portfolio management.、Um, because we think to discover the opportunities, you need to take a bottom-up approach, looking at company by company and analyze their proper. Growth drivers, the quality of the business, the earnings momentum, the technical momentum, and the valuation of those businesses, and at the same time, it is also the most effective way in analyzing and managing the risks, because one of the particular areas of risk we have seen consistently in China is the ESG pitfalls about companies,、yes. and to analyze the ESG. Risks. The most effective way is to do bottom-up research, and that needs to be done by active managers. Yeah, and this leads me to my final question, which is、uh, not part of your presentation, but it's part of my inquisitive mind to you, Wen Chang. Because if I was an investor and、um, I, I had a look at the、uh, all the fundamentals and all the geopolitical events that are sort of starting to develop a bit, I would say to myself, okay, I've got to look at this. I've got to look at Taiwan tensions. I've got to look at the drought. In China, and drought is not <laughs> obviously exclusively a, a China problem. It's everywhere in the world. You've got the Russia ties as they cozy up, it almost in a sort of a barrier against the West. That's my interpretation, not yours. You've got the UN report on the Uyghur Muslim situation. You've got easing versus tightening. In other words, China is easing, the West is tightening, and that's like a low pressure system against a high pressure system in meteorological terms. Uh, so there are a lot of things that might make me think twice, even listening to your six points about the China compelling prospect. Do you understand where my concerns lie, or where an investor's concerns might lie? Yes, I think that is totally understandable, and、uh, I think there is really no way to say that this is a clear cut. That it's all bright or it is all dark, and、uh, given the situation. In today's world, I think investment in any market 
uh, has its own challenges, and there are a lot of challenges that the global investors are facing, no matter which market they are looking at today. But I think when we consider about the China investment opportunities, we need to take a structural view and we need to take a long-term view. I think the geopolitical risks will continue to linger, but this is also a risk that has long been in place. And I think when we look at the valuation, it is also, uh, from what we've discussed earlier, the valuation of Chinese equities are on a very compelling basis. So I think for investors, they need to consider whether uh, some of the geopolitical risks, some of the macro and policy execution risks have already been properly reflected by the current value, but by the current level of valuation for the Chinese equities market. Um, And I think apart from that, a lot of the self-inflicted wounds for the Chinese economy is seeing the signs of correction, like we have talked about in terms of the property market tightening, in terms of the tech regulatory tightening, uh, and even the zero COVID policy itself is seeing some adjustment. We have seen the government loosening in terms of inbound travelers restrictions, for example, and shortening quarantine periods. So there are um, actual changes on the ground that is happening. So I think it's the direction of travel that matters. And apart from that, we need to compare this on a relative basis in terms of the attractiveness of the valuation and the size of the opportunity set. And on that basis, I think China looks like a very attractive market where we're standing now. Thank you so much, Wen Chang, for your excellent analysis. Wen Chang Ma is a portfolio manager at 91 based in Hong Kong. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.